Let's get into God's Word, shall we? We're going to be continuing in our study of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 6. Um, so go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you. Um, and if you're using your phone or your tablet, we use the New American Standard Version, um, just for your information. Pastor Drew uh, last week did a great job in covering the first half of Deuteronomy, so verses 1 through 15, which included the Shema, and also those famous words that Jesus referred to as the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So this is the passage directly following the Shema and, and that great commandment, the greatest commandment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it up into two sections here. The first section... We're going to read uh, verses 16 through 19, and then we're going to read the rest of the chapter a little bit later. But let's, let's start in Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, verses 16 through 19. So it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right. And good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we get in this country to read and study your word to know who you are. Thank you that you've given us a pathway to salvation, Lord, through the blood of Jesus, that those of us who repent and believe could have eternity in heaven with you. And so right now we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to your truth this morning. May we not hear from any single person this morning, but may we hear directly from you through your scriptures. We thank you for this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we, in this first section here, we, we hear and we read some familiar terms, some familiar concepts, right, that we've seen in Deuteronomy in these first six chapters. So in verse 17, he says, keep the commandments. We've heard that a lot in Deuteronomy, right? Keep the commandments. And then he says, his statutes which, which he has commanded you. In verse 18, he says, You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. These are common phrases, common terms that we've heard a lot in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is all about, so far, has been a lot about obedience to the Lord. So at this point, as we've been going through Deuteronomy, I I don't think I have to tell you of the importance of the Christian of obeying the Lord. It's important for us to obey the Lord. We are called to obey Him. We're called to keep His commandments. God has been telling us that throughout this book so far. We are to keep the commandments. What does that mean, to keep the commandments? Someone might say, well, it means to obey the commandments perfectly. We're to be sinless. We're to keep the commandments. Well, Yes and no. That's the goal. That's actually God's standard. We're, we're supposed to keep the commandments perfectly, but we can't. We're sinners, right? 
Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. So we don't keep them perfectly. And the Lord knows that. And that's why Jesus came, so that He lived that perfect life, and then He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins if we repent and believe. But to keep the commandments, the word keep, uh, in the original language, it, it could be translated to pay careful attention to or to observe carefully. In other words, we are to revere the commandments. It's, it, it brings the idea of our lives are a pattern of obedience, a pattern of obedience occasionally interrupted by sin. That's what it means to keep the commandments. And so, as I'm sure you've noticed, the last several Sundays that this common theme in Deuteronomy has been obedience, keeping the commandments. But I want to tell you that there's another theme in Deuteronomy that we haven't touched on too much, but we're going to touch on quite a bit starting next week. There's another theme here, and that theme is love. The word love appears more times in Deuteronomy than in any other Old Testament book. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I was studying for this message. The word love appears more times in Deuteronomy than in any other Old Testament book. Now, the book with the most uses of the word love in the entire Bible is the Gospel of John. The Apostle John, we know him as the Apostle of Love, and in his Gospel, he uses the word love more than any other book in the Bible. But for the Old Testament, Deuteronomy takes the cake. Love. But for today's passage, we're going to continue with this theme of obedience because that's what we have in front of us today. Specifically, how can we be obedient? How can we love the Lord with all that we are, as Pastor Drew spoke about last weekend? We've seen this, we've seen this common theme of obedience, but notice in the first verse of, of our passage today, we actually do see something new. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what does it mean to put God to the test? We're going to have to do a little bit of Bible study here. He says, don't put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Well, what in the world happened at Massa? In order to find out, we need to turn to Exodus chapter 17. So turn to your left. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, Exodus 17, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. So we're going to, this is what happened at Massah, Exodus 17, starting in verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin. Now, the wilderness of sin, that's not... That doesn't mean sinfulness. That actually just happens to be the name of the desert that they were in. Um, And then it says, according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel. Now watch this. And because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? The Israelites were quarreling with Moses. They were complaining to Moses about the lack of water. They were blaming Moses for this predicament, right? In verse 2, it says, they quarreled with Moses saying, give us water. Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? And then later in verse 3, it says, they grumbled against Moses, Moses and said, why now have you, Moses, why have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Let me, let me ask you a question. Who brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness on their way to the promised land? Who was that? That was God. That was God. God did that, not Moses. God parted the Red Sea. God destroyed the Egyptian army. God brought them into the wilderness, not Moses. And yet, the people are blaming Moses for their thirst. And they demanded that Moses get them water to drink. What they should have done is what Moses did. Moses cried out to the Lord. They should have cried out to the Lord like Moses did. They should have turned to the Lord for the water that they needed instead of Moses. Now, when we combine that fact with the statement that is made in verse 7, look at verse 7. It says, they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So when we combine those things, it becomes quite clear that when he says that they tested the Lord, what he's saying is that they were not trusting God. They were not loving God with all that they are, all their heart and soul and might. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, said this. He said, their bodies were not, I'm sorry, their bodies were in the camp of Israel, but their hearts were were still in Egypt. If God had not been gracious and long-suffering, he could have judged them severely, but he knows that his people are only clay. God is a gracious God. He's long-suffering. He's patient. And I thank him every day for that. He could have judged them, but he didn't. He's a gracious God. So the children of Israel were having this problem of trusting God, loving God, obeying God. And I think it's interesting that Moses, let's turn back to Deuteronomy 6, actually. I think it's interesting that after he talks about don't test the Lord like you did at Massah, I think it's interesting that through the inspiration of the Lord, Moses says what he says next in the very next passage in Deuteronomy 6. So let's read this next section, Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. It says, when your son asks you in, the time, in time to come, 
saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean? which the Lord your God, our God, has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to, do, to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. So what's, what's going on here? What's, what's the Lord telling the Israelites? And what, what's he telling us today? He says, don't test the Lord, don't distrust the Lord, don't rely on your own strength, and he says, keep the commandments, and he says, keep God's testimonies and his statutes. That's, the first, that's that first section, 16 through 19, and then in the passage we just read, Moses then says that when your son asks you what those testimonies and statutes mean that the Lord has commanded you, then the parents are to tell them of all the things that the Lord has done for the children of Israel. You see, these laws, you remember, these laws were actually, they were commanded back in Exodus to the parents, right? These children that, that Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy speaks of, they probably weren't even born yet. These laws were given to the parents. So the, the children would want to know, well, why should we obey these commands also? It's easy sometimes, right? As, as time passes and we get comfortable and prosperous and we get detached from our past, it's easy to forget the necessity of certain values, isn't it? Certain principles. We need to be reminded. We need to tell our children and remind our children. And so he says that they are to tell their sons of all that the Lord did for the people, Right? And, that's, and he kind of goes through that. He says, we were slaves to, to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed great signs and, and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt. And he brought us out from there in order to bring us into the land which he had sworn to our fathers. And he commanded us to observe all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our good and survival. It's important for us to remember what God has done. It's important for our kids to know and to remember what God has done. I've heard a lot of people in my generation and in the generation before me, the baby boomers, you know, they, they talk about growing up in church, and it's not uncommon for them to say that when they would ask questions about why do we believe certain things, it wasn't uncommon for the answer to be, don't question, just have faith. But don't question. That, you know, that's a great way to nudge someone out of the church. That's a great way to escort someone out of the faith. We, we need to be asking questions. We need to be answering questions. We need, we need to encourage questions. I tell my kids all the time, if you ever have a question 
about anything in the Bible or anything about God, something that doesn't make sense or something that doesn't sit right with you, ask me, ask your mom, ask your Sunday school teacher. We need to ask questions. It's a good thing. And it's important for us to remember what God has done because it's, it's so easy for us to forget. And when we do that, we are more prone to obey Him. We love God when we obey Him. We love God when we obey Him. Jesus said as much in John chapter 14, verse 15, when He said, If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Someone asked, if I, do, if I do something just out of sheer obedience, if I do something out of, just out of obedience, but I don't feel anything, I, I'm not moved by my love for God, I'm not moved by my affections towards God, I, I'm just doing it, if I'm just doing it for the sake of being obedient, should I do it? Should I obey? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are called to obey God regardless of what we're feeling, regardless of whether or not there's this, endear, this warm endearment that we often feel toward the Lord. We're called to walk in obedience no matter what. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So I want to talk about this, this idea of, of loving God and keeping the commandments. How do those things fit together? When I was a, a new believer, my, my love for, gro- for God was, was growing at a very fast rate, right out of the gate. I would often marvel at the fact that my love for the Lord seemed to increase every single day. It was astonishing. And I used to wonder back then, what, why is that? Why is this happening? Why is it that my love for God, when I think it can't grow anymore... Why is it that my love for God just keeps growing and growing and growing? When God, when God first saved me, um, and I was in those initial immature stages of my faith, my son Derek was just two, my wife was pregnant with Alexandra, and, um, and some of my new friends at, at the church, we were at the Rock Community Church at the time, and some of our new friends, they would go to these conferences and retreats and these gatherings and and it always seemed like they would come back riding this giant wave of love for God. It was all very exciting, very emotional. And they would tell me that the preaching was so good and the music was so powerful that they were around so many other like-minded believers. And it just seemed like their, their love, or at least their zeal for God, would increase exponentially at those things. And that's a good thing. But I started to notice a pattern. started to notice that after a few weeks or months or sometimes even just days after the conference, that they were kind of back in that same place that they were before these events. I'd see them go to these events and I'd hear how amazing it was. And admittedly, I, became, I would become envious because, you know, I had a young family and we didn't have much money at the time. So I, I couldn't go to these things. I just couldn't afford to go. And so the only thing that I could do is stay home and read the Word of God. And I would read and read and read, sometimes most of the day. 
because that's all that I could do. And I had a couple of men in my life from the church who mentored me, took me under their wing, and they would walk me through God's Word, and they would answer my questions, and I had a lot of questions back then. And they would explain context to me, and they'd hold me accountable, and, and as I sat under Pastor John's teaching, Pastor John was our original founding pastor here at The Rock, and I would sit under his teaching and other men at The Rock, and I, I remember I used to, back then our, our services were at 8.15 and 10.15, and I would come to the 8.15 service which at the time was a big sacrifice to do on a Sunday morning for me. But I would come to 8.15 so that I could, at 10.15, I could go to the youth group and get more teaching from Rob Selleck, who was the leader of our 180 group at the time. My wife and I joined a community group. I joined a men's Bible study. I started going to men's breakfast. By the way, shameless plug for men's breakfast. We meet Wednesdays at 6 a.m. at Kino's in Anaheim Hills, so hope to see you there. But I was getting fed every day of the week. I couldn't get enough of God's Word. I couldn't get enough of it. And as I began to understand the Bible, and I began to understand who God is, His attributes, His holiness, His wrath, His his grace, and His love for me, as I began to understand those things, I began to love God in a way that I could never have imagined. My zeal for God, my love for God was increasing every day. Every time I thought it couldn't grow anymore, it would just continue to grow. And so I began to see this contrast between my friends who were going to all these events and their love for God and my love for God. Theirs was kind of up and down depending on when the last conference was. Mine was on a steady increase. Now, I'm not saying, don't mishear me, I am not saying that conferences or retreats are bad. We have retreats here at The Rock. We, we have women's retreats, men's retreats, our, our youth go on retreats, our young adults. Those are good. And we have conf- we've had many conferences here at The Rock. Those can be good things. But they should never replace the study of the Word of God. They should never replace sitting under expositional, biblically sound preaching and teaching. That's the priority. Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what's the Apostle Paul saying there? He's, he's asking the believer for something pretty pretty substantial, pretty tremendous. Present your body as a living and holy sacrifice. He's asking us to offer our lives as a sacrifice. He's asking us to offer our lives not to another man, not to the church, not to a Christian organization, but to offer our lives to God. Now, What could possibly motivate us to give our lives away to God? What could be strong enough to do that? Well, Paul tells us. It's it's embedded in the verse. He says, um, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice by the mercies of God. He's urging us to give our lives away by the mercies of God. So what are the mercies of God? What are those mercies Well, if you were to read the book of Romans, 
you would, you, you'll know what he means. Um, the first three chapters of Romans talks about the depravity of man. We're sinners. By nature, we are enemies of God, and we are deserving of God's wrath. Chapters 4 and 5 talk about the grace of God, the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. What God did for us on the cross by sacrificing His only begotten Son for the forgiveness of our sins if we repent and believe. Chapters 6 through 8 talk about how to live the godly life, how to live a Christian life. Even in the midst of struggling with sin, how we can have victory over that because of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside us. And then chapters 9 through 11 talk about God's redemptive work and how it's, it's not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles also. That's you and me. And it shows the extent of God's power and His grace. He's a great God. He's a faithful God. And so by the time we get to Romans 12, we understand what the mercies of God are, right? His infinite grace, His immense love for His people. So it is by the mercies of God that we are to present our lives as a sacrifice to our Lord and Savior. Another way of saying that? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience because of what He has done for us on the cross by taking upon Himself the penalty that we deserve. The Apostle Paul goes on in Romans 12 too. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So how does this answer our question? What could motivate us to give our lives away to God? What could motivate us to obey Him? In other words, how do we grow in our devotion and our love to God? Well, the answer is in Romans 12 too. It says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the Bible. That renews our mind. The more we discover about God, the more we discover about His attributes, His holiness, the beauties of God that are revealed in the Scriptures, the things that He did for the Israelites in the Old Testament, and what the Gospels say about Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, The more we discover those things, the more we will grow in our love for God and our obedience to Him. When you discover those things, your affections for God will be drawn out. They'll be drawn out of you, and those affections will drive you to obedience. And those affections don't come automatically. Remember, by nature, we're we're enemies of God. That's our nature. Those those affections come when when we spend time with the Lord, when we get to know Him. I mean, think about it. For those of you that are married, you wouldn't have fallen in love with your future spouse unless you got to know them, unless you studied them, right? Same is true with respect to our love for God. We have to get to know Him, and that's through His Word. A lot of Christians, they're, they're trying to get around being in God's Word, Studying the scriptures. They'll, you know, they'll go to a conference or a retreat or maybe a concert. And again, those things aren't bad. They're good. And they'll get zealous and, and they'll, they'll ride the, that wave of love for God for a few days or weeks or months, sometimes even years. 
But eventually, if they're not regularly in the Scriptures, that zeal for God will fade. It'll fizzle. What we need is something else. We need God's Word. What we need is theology. Someone says, you know, I don't want any of that theology. It's, it's unnecessary. It's a lot of work. It can divide. Well, here, here's what you're saying when you say that. The word theology comes from two Greek words. Theos, which means God, and logos, which means a word. So when you, when you say, I don't want to hear any of that theology, what you're saying is, I don't want to hear a word about God or a study about God. If we have the Holy Spirit living inside our hearts, then we'll want to hear a word about God. We'll want to know God in a deeper way. That's what theology is all about. I'll hear people tell younger believers sometimes, when you're you're reading a passage, ask yourself, what is this passage saying about you? What's this passage saying about what you need to do, who you are? I would argue that that's not the first thing you should, you should ask. Maybe it's the second or the third or the fifth, but it's not the first thing you should ask. The first thing you should ask is, what is this passage saying about God, who God is? That is what is most important. Because if, if your heart's truly been regenerated and if you've been born again, then the more you know about God and the cross of Christ, the more you will love him. Guaranteed. And that's why we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. And that's why we grow in grace. I love God because I study him. I, I want to know who he is because the more I see of him, the more I want to be like him. The more I want to trust him and obey him the more I want to glorify and speak of him. We need a true knowledge of God because without a true knowledge of God, we will always fill in the gaps with false things. Always. We need to study the scriptures if we love him with everything that we are and if we want to obey him. And, and don't, we don't want to study God's word to get some good life principles you know, in order to live your best life now. But study the, the word in order to, to know this God who created you, who redeemed you, and who loves you. His mercies, his grace, his, his powers, it, they're infinite. God is infinite. If we want to be obedient because of our love for God, start by studying who God is. Someone once asked me, is, is there ever a time when you don't feel that zeal for God, that love for God, and, and yet you still obey Him? And the answer is yes. I don't do that perfectly. But for the most part, I, I still obey Him, even if I'm not feeling anything. And that, that honestly, that happens more often than I'd like it to. Um, you know, I love coming to church. I, I love being here. We just sang it earlier. There's literally no place I'd rather be than here at church with all of you, you know, my church family and just loving on you guys and and being loved by all of you people. This is my favorite place. But I confess to you that there are times, they're few and far between, but there are times when I wake up in the morning and and I don't particularly want to get out of bed. 
I don't, I don't feel anything. I, I don't really feel God's presence. I don't feel that zeal, and I'm, I just want to stay in bed. But then I think of all that needs to be done for God's kingdom, right? The emails, the, the teachings to prepare, the ministering to, to the people who are in deep waters. And believe me, there's a lot of people here in deep waters. But sometimes I just don't feel anything. I don't feel that, that sense of God's presence, that zeal that usually permeates my life. And I just want to stay in bed. I'm tired. I don't feel anything. But I get out of bed. Why? Because it's not about how I feel. It's about what I know. I know that the Lord is worthy. I know that He is faithful. I know He is Lord. So, so whether you feel anything or not, you know that you need to get up, that you need to study and obey the Scriptures, and that you need to keep walking. It's in those times when I, when I feel nothing and yet I obey. It's in those times that I believe that I glorify God more than when I'm riding that wave of zeal because I'm doing it purely by faith. There's this passage in Scripture that evidently I've read in the past, but I must have just glossed over it because I, I don't think I noticed it until I was studying for this message, but it's in Isaiah chapter 50. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 50, please. Isaiah 50 and verse 10. So Isaiah 50, verse 10, it says, "Who Who is among you that fears the Lord? That's the believer. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? So it's an obedient believer. Now watch this. That walks in darkness and has no light. He's not seeing anything. He's not feeling anything. And yet he's obedient. And then he says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on on his God. When you know God, you don't necessarily have to feel anything from God or, or from within yourself to obey him. Those feelings will come. There's going to be times of great affection. His love will sometimes just be as tangible as ever. You're going to have that zeal for him in your heart. Those are marvelous and glorious feelings. I'm not discounting those feelings in any way. I love when I'm feeling that way. And it happens more often than not for me. But there will be a time of darkness and no light. And what are we to do during those times? Well, it says in Isaiah 50, we are to trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God. We're to trust in what we know about God. And that is just, that's just what the Lord is instructing the Israelites to do in Deuteronomy 6. He's essentially telling them to remember the things that he has done for them, right? He's ta- talking about how he saved them from slavery in Egypt. And when their children ask what the testimonies and the statutes mean, that the parents are to tell the children all that the Lord did for them. 
What has the Lord done in your life? What has the Lord done in your family that you can remember and you can look back and say, God was at work in my life, even when I was rebelling against him, even when I was hating him, even when I couldn't see it at the time, God was working in my life. He was working out his perfect plan of salvation in my life. I can tell my children what the Lord has done in my life and in my family. I can tell them that at one point, mom and dad were on the verge of divorce. And then, and then what the Lord did is he saved our souls. He softened our heart and he saved our souls. We repented and we believed in the blood of Jesus. And then after he saved our souls, he saved our marriage. And I can tell them that. I, I could tell them, you know, this all, it almost didn't happen. This all came so close to never happening. If, he didn't, if God didn't do that in our family, mommy and daddy would not be living in the same house. There'd be no Alexandra and there'd be no Joshua. But God did that. He did that in our life. He did that in our family. And I can tell them that. And I can also tell them what he did with the Israelites and how he redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. And then he protected their line until the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. When we remember what the Lord has done and his, his marvelous attributes, his, his holiness, his goodness, his patience with us, his faithfulness, and his perfect love for us. When we remember those things and we combine that with the power of the Holy Spirit that is living inside us, that will enable us to love God and to obey him, even when we aren't feeling anything. And when we know him, we know his promises, we can walk in darkness we can walk when there's no light, when we're, we're not feeling anything. And we can be obedient and pleasing to God. So my encouragement to you as, as I close, my encouragement is to live your life studying God's Word. Not, not just the life principles, but get to know who God is. And this book, this Bible, it's filled with words that tell us who God is. From Genesis to Revelation, it, it all points to Jesus. And we get a glimpse of his character and his attributes. He's a God who loves us. He loves us enough that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team up. If you need prayer for anything... Our prayer team is going to be to my left at the bottom of the stairs, and they would love to pray with you. So come up and meet them and, and uh, ask for prayer. We, we would love to pray with you. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Thank you for being here. The Lord loves you. I love you. It's, it's good to be with you guys. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing thing that you love us enough that you would send your only begotten Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And not only that, Lord, but you gave us your word that we can know you, that we can know who you are. And through that, we can love you more and more and more each and every day. What an amazing gift, Lord.
Thank you for loving us. Even when we didn't love you, even when we were rebelling against you and hating you, you loved us. And we're so grateful. We are in awe of your perfect love for us. So may we be in your word. May we respond with our hearts, Lord, and our lives. May we give our lives as a living sacrifice to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.